Hi everyone, I'm Margie Alanis and this is Farm Her Talks. Thoughtful conversations to connect and inspire the farm her in all of us. This episode was so awesome the first time around. We're pulling it back out of the vault, dusting it off, and putting a little more farm her sparkle on it. So today we are bringing you a really cool episode. We're going to jump across the country. We're going to start out talking to some women of the Brooms Bloom Dairy and uh, we filmed there last year. They were on in season three of our TV show. And it's a really cool story. They're like literally one of the oldest farms I have ever talked to. They're in their like sixth generation. And they have been around since before there was buildings in Iowa. I mean, they're, they've they been there forever. And so talk about the importance of keeping uh, keeping it in the family and keeping it going. And that is what they have done. So we'll talk about some of the innovative ways that they've done that uh, because um, in this economy, running a dairy is a very, very tough thing, as many of you know. And uh, they have figured out a way to go direct to the consumer. So they have a store and a restaurant right there on their farm. And their big thing is ice cream. So again, you can go back to the TV episode and uh, see me get to experience their wonderful ice cream. I had a huge bowl of chocolate. I remember actually behind the scenes, uh, she she was like, okay, we're going to try this ice cream. And she scooped it up and gave me like the hugest bowl of ice cream. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't need this much. There's no way I'm going to eat it all. And guess what? I was basically like licking out the bowl at the end of it. So um, that always happens. Um, but anyway, uh, it's really cool. And then we're going to cross the country. So we start in Maryland at a cow dairy and we're going to go to a very different dairy in Washington. And it's called the Lost Peacock Creamery. It is a goat micro dairy and they're milking, you know, 60 ish goats and they've been doing it for a couple of years. It's a husband wife team. They do it along with their kids. Uh, the farm, hers name is Rachel and she was also on during season three. And I have to say, visiting her farm was a little bit like driving into a fairy tale. It was so cool. And we're going to talk about my experience there. I have been following her for a couple of years on her blog, and I absolutely love her story. I love who she is. I love what she projects into the world. And I know that you're going to love it too. So those are some of the cool things that we have coming up on this episode. And to introduce you a little bit, um, this this week on Farm Her, the TV show, we are going to take a trip to Philadelphia and we're going to go to a high school in Washington, or sorry, we're going to take a trip to Philadelphia and we're going to go to a high school that is an ag focused high school right there in the city and is one of the most unique things that I've ever seen. Quite honestly, it's one of a, just a few schools like it in the United States. And um, there are, as you can imagine, a lot of women involved in that program. So kids have to apply to get into that high school. Many of the kids that go there do so because they want to go into uh, veterinary school. That's a pretty common thing there, I learned, because they have dairying, they have livestock of many different kinds. They're growing um, vegetables in a greenhouse. They're growing them out in an open field. They have a small animal part of what they do. Um, so they showed me all around. And the really cool thing is these girls that were showing me around, um, we, we had their teacher there who went to the school herself, went off to college, got an ag education degree and came back. And it means so much to her that she is teaching at that school. And Miss T is her name. And that's not her name, but that's what everyone calls her. And um, so we'll meet her and we'll meet some of her students. And the week that we were there, 
the school was on spring break. And at first I was like, oh no, we're going to be in town and I really, really want to do this. And she's like, that's okay. The farm doesn't stop because spring break does. We've got kids that are here. And so we followed those kids that took their spring breaks and came to that farm and worked with those animals. Um, You'll see these young women dealing with um, some sheep that had just had um, babies, their horses that they had to take care of. Like I said, there's planting in a greenhouse going on. And then they take me in the small animal app, which I have to say uh, was kind of a funny thing again, behind the scenes. So um, I will post this. I will share this the week that, that this airs on my Instagram and I will show you all what happened. <laughs> so they had this ferret or wait, was it a ferret? It was a ferret. Wasn't it? a ferret? I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was a small animal that looked kind of like a ferret, but it could have been something else anyway. And they were, it was like very nice and it was crawling all over them and they were loving it. And so then I take it to do an intro on the TV show, which you can see. And I, I do the intro and then I like tried to take a selfie with the ferret animal and it bit me right in the cheek. And, um, I like screamed, obviously it didn't break the skin. It was all fine. It was just a little dramatic, but it all got caught into a gif. So I will share it that week. So you can all see the ferret biting me in the face, but these young women do all kinds of amazing things with animals. Tune in to the farmer TV episode about Saul high school to catch it all. We are going to be covering a couple different dairies on different sides of the country doing very different things. And so here with me, I have Kate, Emmy, and Ariel, who are some of the women behind the Brooms Bloom Dairy in or near Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome, ladies. Hi, thanks for having us. Yes, yes. So um, let's start with you, Kate. I would love to hear just a little background on your farm and um, and kind of what, what it looks like. Okay. We're a small dairy farm um, located kind of between Baltimore and Philadelphia along the I-95 corridor. We're in a very suburban area. We have about 240 acres, and it's been in our family's farm since um, 1726, actually much longer than the country has existed. Yeah, that doesn't happen here in Iowa ever for us, so that's amazing. Not much is going on in 1726 in Iowa. So we're on our um, ninth generation. We had some really long generations. And um, um, we uh, we had been struggling to find a way to make it all work, to keep it sustainable. And uh, about uh, close to 20 years ago, we we decided to start making cheese. Uh, We're very fortunate to be close to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where there are a lot of Amish cheesemakers. We started out by taking our milk up there, having them make it into cheese and selling it at local farmers markets and to local restaurants. And that kind of grew into um, selling meats, beef, lamb, and pork, not only from our farm, but the the dairy farm I grew up on in Churchville, about five miles away. And, um, and from that point, we decided that uh, maybe it was time to have a storefront. And uh, we, we thought of the products that we had and thought we needed something that would actually make people um, remember where we were and come back. And ice cream was it. So uh, we started making ice cream on the farm about 14 years ago and selling it at our store along with uh, all of our 
farm products. And um, then to give us a more year-round business, we kind of added a, a cafe component that sells sandwiches and soups and quiche and different things. But we, we still milk um, 53 cows here on the um, farm. We milk three times a day. And my daughter and my niece are primarily responsible for the care of the cows and calves. Yeah. So I uh, had the pleasure of visiting you guys. And as you were describing the ice cream, I can still taste it. It was wonderfully uh, rich and creamy. I had a big, huge bowl of chocolate ice cream um, when I was there and some of your soup. It was wonderful um, and a really fun experience. And so, Kate, you are on the store side of things for the most part. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yes. That's kind of my end of the business, the uh, sales. So Emmy and Ariel, who are there with you, Emmy and Ariel, could you guys introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about what your roles are? Hi, I'm Emmy. Um, I am still a student working towards my associate's degree in ag business. So I go to school two days a week. And the other days I'm on the farm helping Ariel. We do two of the milkings of of the day and then I bed up calves, feed calves and um, recently this year I started raising my own turkeys and been selling them through my mom's ice cream store and that's one thing I'm trying to add to the farm and um, a local product to our community that really isn't offered here. Good for you. That's very cool. I, yeah, I, I think I remember you talking about that but maybe it wasn't up and running yet when we were there. Um, so Ariel, can you jump in and tell us a little bit about your role? Yep. Hi, my name's Ariel and I'm Kate and David's niece. Um, I went to Penn State and majored in animal science and my role in the farm is kind of like, uh, my uncle's assistant or herd manager. I focus mainly on the herd health side of things and reproduction. Most, we breed everything using artificial insemination. We do all of our own breeding, um, and we do some embryo work as well, but I focus on that side of things, all of our cow health vaccinations, um, any sick cows we might have. And then Emmy and I, as Emmy said before, the two of us milk the second two milkings and my uncle milks the first. So we spend most of our time actually caring for the cows. Yeah. And uh, you guys have such a unique setup there and it was really cool to see. And I guess it had skipped my mind that it is a ninth generation. So um, in any of you, feel free to speak up. What what does that mean to you to be a part of such a long running farm? Like like there is there, there is some serious pressure there to keep this going, right? <laughs> well, but, but that's exactly it. You don't you don't want to be the generation that throws in the towel. Although many times you feel like you're the generation that is facing the biggest challenges. But um, kind of changing the way that we've looked at things and um, trying to capture more of the retail dollar, which is what our goals for the future are, uh, to, to do that more and more, um, has uh, put us in a pretty good position here. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys have continued to evolve, and, and I have no doubt will continue to uh, evolve to meet the needs of the consumers in your area and, um, and to continue to be able to farm in the way that you guys want to. So... Uh, great for you. So, uh, Emmy and Ariel, what what do you what's your hope for the future of the farm? I, I we just heard from Kate, so I'd love to hear from you guys, girls. Um, 
we really want to continue it. We want to find new things that we can bring to the farm. And having our parents, just watching our parents do it really inspires me and makes me want to be just like them. Um, another thing, um, I guess one of the things about being a ninth generation farm is that we know that our family has faced many challenges over the years and they've always found a way to solve their problems and continue on to the future. And one of the ways we're hoping to continue on is um, to process our own milk and make our own cheeses here on our farm in the near future. I mean, I just got done taking a cheese making short course. So that's something we're really excited about um, being able to process most of our own milk here on the farm. Yeah, the, the goal for the future is to only use our own milk over at the store. So it might take us several years to figure this all out. It seems like everything in agriculture is kind of an evolution and it's <laughs> takes a while to see where it's going to end up. And that's exactly where we are with our milk processing goals. But um, that's the one thing I think that will enable us to support another generation here. Yeah. Well, I, I love the entrepreneurship focus that you guys have and, and recreating what, what your farm is and, and growing to meet those needs. So uh, kudos to you guys, because that isn't always an easy thing. So if people want to visit your dairy or see you online, uh, how would they come find you? Um, we have a Facebook page that's under Broom Bloom Dairy. Uh, we also have a, two different Instagram accounts, one for the store that's BB Dairy. And then also, um, we also have a farm page that's under Broom Bloom underscore girls on Instagram. And on that, we share a lot more about the production side of things and about what our cows are up to on a daily basis. Awesome. And the store is right there on the farm real quick. It's, um, what town are you in? We're in Bel Air, Maryland. Okay. The address is 1700 South Fountain Green Road, Bel Air, Maryland. We're right off exit 80 off 95. So if you're ever um, driving up 95 and you want a little break, stop on in. Stop in for some great ice cream. Thank you so much, ladies. It's been a pleasure. So crossing the country to Oregon, we have Rachel Taylor Tuller on the phone. Rachel, hello. Washington. Washington. Yeah, gosh. You know why I said Oregon? Because on our trip to film up there, we were in Washington and Oregon. And sometimes I don't even know where I am, obviously. <laughs> Washington, you guys are just not too far outside of Seattle. Is that correct? That's correct. We're about an hour uh, south of Seattle and about two hours north of Portland. So we're in a really nice sweet spot to serve two really big cities. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's introduce people to what you do, Rachel. Can you tell us a little bit about, well, let's, let's take it way back. Um, tell us about if you have any farming background and what led you to start your farm. Yeah, we're going to go way back. <laughs> uh, I have zero farming background. I was a Air Force brat. My dad flew F-15s in the Air Force and we moved every two years, every 10 months. I had no roots. And because of that, I also had no pets. Um, my parents got me a hamster and then I eventually begged my way into guinea pigs. But uh, <laughs> pets, pets were just not really an option. We just had to move so much. So no farming background. I went to uh, the Air Force Academy after I graduated high school. And then I served in the military um, as a mortuary officer. 
I did a tour in Iraq. And then uh, when I got out of the military, I was really craving uh, uh, the land. I just needed to get, people say, back to the land. I had never started there, but I just knew I needed to be with the earth. And so um, bought a plot of land that wasn't supposed to be a farm. It was supposed to be uh, kind of just a, a, a house on a lot of acreage. Um, didn't ever really build the big fancy house and instead started a farm uh, accidentally because um, I didn't think I wanted a farm. I thought I just wanted to, you know, have some backyard chickens, but those backyard chickens uh, turned into kind of an obsession about what other food products can I make that um, are as pure and uh, intentional as that first egg that got laid. So um, got some sheep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I hear that a lot that those chickens are like a gateway into, you know, they are, you have instant chickens food, are the gateway drug. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and they're so easy, and there's such a difference between store-bought chickens and backyard chicken eggs that it's just, you just start to think, oh my gosh, my whole life has been a lie, that there's <laughs> better food out there, yeah. that, you know, eggs should taste better. People always say that, too, with tomatoes, that it's just so easy to tell a store-bought tomato from a homegrown tomato, and eggs are another thing where you're just like, wow, that really is better. And so um, we bought uh, some sheep and kind of did the lamb thing and some pigs and um, a dairy goat because I cannot tolerate uh, cow's milk. And so I got a backyard dairy goat. And once you get your first goat, they're like potato chips. You just become <laughs> a little, you become a crazy goat lady really quick yeah. when you get goats. And so I was like, well, gosh, this is amazing. I need to um, spend my life with goats. So what job can I have where I get to spend my life with goats? And I mean, starting a goat dairy just seemed like tons of fun. So I uh, started a goat dairy. Just bing, bang, boom. Um, well, not really. <laughs> not <laughs> it, really. It, was a lot. It, took, it took two years. It yeah. was a long process. Um, yeah. I got a divorce in the middle of it. And uh, met another man who also doesn't have a farming background, but, you know, fell in love with uh, me and my daughter at the time, who's still my daughter, but, <laughs> um, uh, and the farm and just said, you know, let's do this together. And so we did. We, I was a year into the two-year process of getting licensed and it, it would not have happened without him and without his, his um, support and his muscle and he's a carpenter. So without his tradesmanship. Yeah. Um, and, and we did it. And so now we're a uh, grade A uh, goat dairy. We just wrapped up our third season. So we're getting ready to start our fourth season um, when babies start dropping in February. That sounds exciting. I wish I could be there for that. Um, let's take this back just a little bit. You mentioned something earlier. And um, for those of you listening, if you watch our TV show, Rachel was on near the end of the first half of, of season three back in November. And, um, we, we slightly touched on it there too, but I don't know if there's any more conversation we can have. One of our big focuses for this year in 2019 is to try to open up more conversations about mental health and how people in agriculture, um, 
might have struggles. And, you know, you talked about being out of the military and needing to connect with the land. Um, did farming, I, I've heard this before, you know, that, that having that connection and um, being able to be a part of such a, a real process does help your healing. Did that, did it work that way for you? Absolutely. 100%. Um, I came back from Iraq and, um, I was a little messed up. I had, um, PTSD and, uh, went to two years of really intensive counseling, uh, provided by the VA, um, and kind of started a farm towards the end of that. And the farm was pretty magical in everything we talked about in counseling started to just click and make sense and, um, you know, kind of really get into my soul and started really healing me in a way that I'm not sure would have happened if I hadn't, um, become a farmer. And, you know, I'm part of the, um, Farmer Veteran Coalition, which is an amazing organization that, uh, connects farmers, uh, who are also veterans. And so you may have seen the homegrown by heroes label that's, that's a part of what they do. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we put it on our cheese, um, to, to signify that, you know, a person who owns this farm served in our military and is now making a food product. Um, and you know, I used to hear a lot of stories of other, um, farmer veterans that getting back to the land, getting back to the animals is, is healing in ways that you couldn't have even predicted. Yeah. I, I, I have heard that too. And I, I think it's a neat thing, um, to be able to share with other people too, because it's something that, you know, I, I personally can't relate to, um, what, what you went through. Um, but I can understand that the land does heal so many things, you know, and it, it's just so real and it's so solid and good and uh, nurturing that I, I can understand what you're saying from that perspective. So thank you for talking about that a little bit. Um, I, I do think it's an important topic. Rachel, I actually was first introduced to you by your blog. And I, I find this so funny. I felt like kind of like a stalker when we actually showed up at your farm to film you for the TV show, because everything that you showed me about your farm, I was like, well, actually, I already kind of knew this because I, <laughs> I follow your blog. So I felt like I knew you a little bit. You're so transparent and have such a funny way about um, a funny and real way about talking to people there. But it was a really cool day. And I, I saw more of the inner workings of your farm, which I absolutely loved to be able to do. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the size of your goat herd? Um, kind of how you guys operate your dairy uh, throughout the year? I know that you're dried up right now. And you said babies are going to hit here in February. So if you could just give us a little more insight as to how the things work within your dairy, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So we milk um, 60. Well, we bred 60 this year, which is our biggest year ever. We started um, with 24 goats, um, milking 24 on the line. And now we're, we're going to go for 60 um, and see where that takes us. We milk twice a day. So in the morning and in the afternoon, and then we make cheese every two days. Um, the FDA says we have to make it every 72 hours, but we're uh, micro dairy. And so our um, facilities just aren't really that big. 
So we kind of have to make it every two days just to um, deal with the amount of milk that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started out and our farm was pretty much a farmer's market model. We would make cheese and then we did, we were doing five farmer's markets a week um, with a newborn and a two-year-old. And that is a big, big (laughs) recipe for... um, Losing your mind. Burnout. A burnout, right? Burnout. I mean, we were waking up at 4 a.m. and milking goats and then loading up kids and driving two hours north to Seattle to sit in a farmer's market all day and then coming home and milking goats again. And we still have these kids that are staring at us and calling us (laughs) mom and dad and asking us for things. And so... um, we, we learned pretty quickly that a farmer's market model wasn't going to work for us, um, not just because of the schedule, but also because it was pretty unpredictable of what we were going to make in a day or in a week. And that got to be just not how, not how I work as a human being. I, I need a little bit more um, stability. And so we started moving more towards a wholesale model, um, which was a, a big struggle. You know, we're a small farm. We, at the time, did not have a distributor repping us. And so a lot of the grocery stores that you think about, they'll only buy cheese from you if you um, have a distributor, which I get. It's a ton of work to work with a small farm. You know, they have to um, talk to you individually Mm -hmm. because they can't just, you know, go through a distributor's catalog and say, yeah, I want kohlrabi and carrots and tomatoes and throw in a wheel of cheese. They have to, they have to talk to just me and a conversation with me um, only gets them one product or maybe three products if they're buying all of ours. Mm -hmm. But we were lucky enough. We have um, a co-op chain of grocers, PCC community markets, which has 13 um, grocery stores in the Seattle area. And they said, yeah, no problem. We'll work with just you and um, you don't need a distributor. So that was kind of our big break in the wholesale world. Um, that kind of allowed us to see that, yeah, we can make a living wage doing this. And then we slowly picked up um, more more places, more little grocers like that. Um, this year, coming into our fourth season, we're actually pretty excited um, because one of the big distributors who, ironically, um, we tried to work with when we were littler um, has reached out to us now and is interested in repping us. And Yay. so we said, yeah, we said, oh, hello. <laughs> uh, yes, we would love to work with you. And so we're excited about that because um, they, they work in Washington and Oregon, which means we're going to be able to um, spread out more without us doing the driving. Right. Because um, right now we do drive up to Seattle once a week um, for those big Seattle deliveries. Yeah, I, um, I, I just can't. I, whenever I see the behind the scenes on a dairy and I hear you talk about it, it's just it's almost overwhelming because it's it's not just milking. Um, milking twice a day, you know, and dealing with the herd and dealing with all the things that you have going on at your farm. It's, you are the distributor, you are, you are the marketer, you are the social media guru, you're all of that. And it's, it's just a lot. So congratulations. It's very exciting about that big distributor. I understand from the perspective of running a small business, when those things come your way, that is super exciting um, in a way to expand what you're already doing, right? You're, you're already doing this and it just gives you a yes. new avenue. 
Yeah. And hopefully, you know, one of the things farming in general, I, I think all farmers would agree, you know, you're, you're the business owner, you're mostly the primary labor. Um, you are the brainchild, you're the marketer, you're the distributor, a lot of those things, a lot of farmers are doing it all. Um, what's also unique about dairy and, you know, I guess I vegetable farmers too, is the product goes bad. Mm-hmm. So you have to get rid of it or else you might as well just set your money on fire. Right. <laughs> Let's so not there's do that. An urge, there's, there's an urgency there that that's like, okay, I just made this much cheese and shoot, I need to sell this much cheese. And that's actually one of the reasons why we got into um, hard cheeses is because any dairy who makes Chev will tell you Chev is your, your bread and butter. Chev pays your bills. The yield is the best for Chev. You know, it's about one gallon of milk becomes two pounds of Chev. And so that's, that's just a great yield. Um, For us, uh, one gallon of milk, becomes about one and a half pounds of halloumi, which is our frying cheese. Um, and then it's, it's like one gallon of milk becomes about one and a quarter pounds of our, our wheels. But we had too much milk and not enough people buying it. Yeah. So we were lucky we had a cave. And whenever we had milk and no orders for people who wanted the milk, we, would, we started making the hard cheese, mm-hmm. which was a real lifesaver for us um, just in trying to turn that product into a paycheck eventually. Yeah. No more letting that money on fire. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're really good at that on this farm, yeah. um, but, but <laughs> we're trying to be better about it. Yeah. I, I get that too. Um, real quick. We've got about a minute and a half left. I'd love to talk. So you talked about uh, forming those relationships with that PCC chain in Seattle and then this distributor. Can you give us just a tiny bit of insight on how you get your foot in the door with some of these discussions? Like, how has it worked for you? Absolutely. Uh, so there, for um, cheesemakers in Washington, at least, and I'm sure all cheesemakers have this, there's what's called a Washington Artisan Cheese Festival. And every year, um, it's there's 18 cheesemakers in Washington right now, and you all come to a big event center and... Um, you sample your cheese. It's um, And usually all the mongers in the area, the cheese buyers in that area, chefs are there trying cheese. Mm-hmm. And so you're just trying to hustle your cheese. Um, it's kind of, I, I, I think it's kind of like an audition. All our big accounts, you know, Beecher's, who is was our first really big break. Um, they're in Pike Place Market. They have one in New York City. They, um, they started buying our cheese the first year we did that. And then the next year, PCC picked us up. And so... Doing that was huge. The other thing is um, I cold call at least two wholesale buyers a week. Good for you. At least. Yep. And then I just keep harassing them and I until they tell me no or next time. I love it. Thank you so much for that insight. I think that that is super important. I really can connect with what you're saying about cold calling. Like my second year of Farm Her where I was kind of looking at myself going, I love doing this, but I got to figure out how to keep it going. I made myself, I didn't do it like every day, but it was Tuesdays for like two hours while my kid was supposed to be napping and usually wasn't. Um, I would like try to just do cold calls, cold emails, whatever, anywhere to try to be like, hey, I want to introduce you to this. And it's one of the hardest things I think that there is, but I think that it does pay off. And obviously for you, um, it has opened those doors. So thank you for your insight on that, Rachel. Um, Of course. 
Yeah. So one, the next thing I want to talk about in visiting your farm, and I saw this a little bit through your blog, but experiencing it was a whole nother thing. Let's talk about why you love the color pink and you <laughs> splash it around your farm. I do. Um, you know, I, anyone who, um, knows me will say that I am, uh, an outrageous person. You know, I, I have been told that I am too much and I like big things and beautiful things and sparkly things and hot pink just happens to be my favorite color and I would paint everything pink if I could. (laughs) Um, But I also hate to paint and so I really have to, I have to temper what I want to be pink. Um, But for me, it's a, it's a big deal. And um, Matthew is actually the one who kind of called out what I was doing. I didn't even know I was doing it, but um, when girls come here, we host a lot of camps and we host a lot of events. And I want people, girls especially to come here and know that a woman owns this farm and they, that it doesn't need to be green and yellow. Not that there's anything wrong with those colors. I mean, our tractor's blue because I can't afford to paint it pink, but (laughs) you can have ownership of your domain. And that's what this is. You know, this farm has become our village and, you know, a lot of people call it a, a vortex. They say when they come here, they kind of feel like their problems suck away and they're just in this moment in time with us. Um, and the animals, and we really want to keep trying to make it this amazing healing space for people and an inspiring space, you know, a place that when you leave, you want to do better, whether you want to support more local products, whether you want to, you know, just believe in yourself as a human being more, whether you want to um, go out and start your own dream, whatever, maybe something you've been sitting on. So for me, the color pink just kind of represents that you can do things on your own terms and you don't need to um, follow a standard status quo of what a farm is supposed to look like or what, um, how a farmer is supposed to act. You know, when I first got pigs, I read a book and they said, you shouldn't call pigs pigs because then you'll look like you don't know what you're doing. A real pig farmer calls their pigs hogs. And I was like, well, gosh, I just don't want to say that. I don't want to call them hogs. I want to like call that pigs. word, They're right? Pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to say it. It's not fun to say. And so I decided, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a pig farmer. I'm going to call my pigs pigs. And that doesn't mean I'm not a pig farmer or a hog farmer. And that doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about, but those are pigs out there and that's okay. And so for me, pink is kind of the same thing. I'm going to paint my farm pink and I'm going to farm how I want. And that's Okay. I love it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, um, it, it does provide this like splash of color when you look around and it's kind of unexpected and exciting and inviting. I don't know how else to explain it from when we were there walking around, you know, all of a sudden there's something else like the, um, like the collars on your goats, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're pink chains, you know, just little things that you wouldn't, I, I just, wouldn't expect to see it. And then it, you do, and it makes you happy. And so kudos to you for uh, not feeling like you have to fit into a certain mold. I think that that's a pretty great way to be. Um, uh, so you also mentioned when people come to your farm, they kind of feel like they're in a vortex. And I would agree. I feel like we drove in your farm and it was, it was foggy that morning. And 
I don't know. When I look back through the pictures, um, which people, if anybody wants to look through them, they're on our blog from season three. You can go to the shows and, and see the pictures, some of the pictures that I took there. I don't know when I look at them. I feel like I'm in a fairy tale kind of like it's just beautiful. And it was a joy to be there and the fog and the bright colors still through that fog. And it's just I just absolutely love it. Um, and one of the things I loved about our day with you is you work with your kids right around to you. I know you mentioned, um, earlier that, you know, you're working yourself nearly to death, you know, when you're going through the farmer's market phase and you saw these little kids, there looking at you. So you got to find this balance, right. Of, of how you can do this and still be mom. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you weave those kids in with your farm life? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think any person who's a parent or has small children on their farm will say the same thing. You either lock them in a cage and then go do your farm chores or you have to bring them with you. And so for me, it was obviously bring them with you. And um, it sucked in the beginning. It was hard. Uh, my milk parlor, I had a swing in it and I would put a crying baby in a swing and it just, it was, it was hard. Like it, it, sometimes it seems like everybody's screaming at you. Like everybody wants something. <laughs> I'm sure the animals were. are hungry. The baby. Yeah. Every, no one's happy with you. And so you're just like, Oh my gosh, let me just get it done. But the thing about farming with kids, especially little kids and they're, and, and little kids who this is their whole life, they've never known anything different. You know, both my kids were born on a farm. Every day gets easier. Every day gets um, more magical and they get smarter and stronger and they start to anticipate what you're going to ask them to do. And they start to just, they're watching you all the time. So just the sheer nature of them being there with you means they're always observing you and they're picking things up on their own. You know, this morning um, I went down, we just got two new uh, dairy goats that are actually in milk, which is pretty exciting because our daughter is refusing to drink the cow milk we had to buy from the <laughs> co-op because she's just not into it. Yeah. And so we found two dairy goats that are in milk and we're going to milk them through our off season. So we have milk. I mean, you would have thought I bought her a unicorn when I told her <laughs> that we had goats that were in milk and she woke me up this morning. She was like, mom, let's go get our milk. And she did, she's five. And so she's been doing this for five years. She, was awesome. She got the pail, she got the water, she caught the goat, she got the grain, she hooked him up. And then she milked that dang goat this morning. And I was just staring at her like, when did you learn how to do this? She <laughs> wasn't doing it. I mean, all on her own three months ago, four months ago, but somehow it all just clicked. And now that girl is milking goats all by herself. It's just farming with kids is awesome. It's just inspiring and amazing. And, you know, it just makes you realize how important it is to involve your kids in this farm because you're making them better human beings. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I agree with you. It is so hard. I mean, when I look back to one of the reasons I left the corporate world and started from her, one of my kids to see me doing something that I really believed in. And still, sometimes it, it feels like I'm they, they probably they aren't sitting down here watching me right now, you know, doing this. But um, the older they get, the more we can weave them into those things. And I think it's so important because how else can you teach them to go run after their dreams without seeing you running after yours? So kudos to you, because I saw you with those kids and they know what they're doing. They are strong, smart, capable little, little kids. Um, 
but it's it's still a lot uh, when you're trying to get your work done. So thank you for that insight. I love the way that you carry yourself through life and the insight that you have uh, always just makes me smile. Um, so one other thing I want, uh, people saw it on the TV episode, if, if they saw it, um, that you guys do goat yoga at your farm. You do it regularly, right? We do. Um, goat yoga, we started about two years ago thinking it was just like a weird summer thing. And, you know, we keep hosting the events and people keep showing up and we love it. It's, it's an amazingly fun quirky thing that not a lot of people get to experience. And we're really happy to bring it to our community. Yeah, it's uh, I tried it very briefly. Uh, like we put Matthew on the spot, right? Because Matthew teaches the yoga, which, who's your husband. Um, and so we put him on the spot when I was there that day. And he led us through like a few moves. And that was the first time I'd ever tried it. <laughs> it's, it is a unique experience for sure. Um, but I uh, was really glad that he did. So on that note, Let's talk a little bit about um, you live very closely, uh, you know, you're, you live there on the farm and you guys work together all day long and you operate a business together and you are building a family together. How do you balance that, um, all of the different roles through a relationship? It, 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 from my perspective, it can be a tough thing because we do that here too, but I'd love to hear your take on it. You know, I don't know if I have a great take on that. I got really, really, really lucky when I met Matthew. And, you know, he's just my person. He is the one that I was supposed to do this dream with. We, um, you know, we both had relationships that were um, not great and not kind and not something that we ever wanted to be a part of again. And I think because of that, we have gone into our relationship with each other, which, you know, we met older. I was um, 32 when I met him. He was 30, 34, maybe. Um, I don't even know how old he is now. Look how well I know him. <laughs> Doesn't um, matter. But, you know, we were older. And so neither one of us were messing around. We, we knew what we wanted. We knew what we didn't want. We knew what we were willing to accept for ourselves and what we weren't. And we just got really stupid lucky with each other. And, you know, we still kind of, we enjoy working together. We, um, we have a lot of fun in the cheese room. We sing a lot. We make a lot of stupid jokes. Um, you know, we drive up to Seattle every week together and, and we, we, we carpool. I mean, we're, we're raising the kids. We, we do spend a lot of time together, but you know, I love every second of it and I don't have any good advice on that because it's just, it's easy. It's always been easy with him. It's, I've never had to work with that. So I'm just lucky. I'm really, really lucky. Well, I think I just heard it. Your advice is make sure that you spend time with someone who it's easy to spend time with, right? Um, yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, that's the thing. They have to mesh with you. Um, okay, so I, as I said earlier, I felt a little like a slight bit stalkerish because I have followed your blog for a couple of years, and when we got to your farm, I like I knew what you look like, and I've seen the different parts of your farm, and I absolutely, absolutely love your blog and the voice that you have on it. Um, what, why did you start the blog? And then can you tell people where they can find uh, more about your farm or connect with you? Absolutely. Um, why did I start the blog? You know, I love to write. I was an English major in college. 
Um, I've always loved to write. And so for me, it just made sense when I started a business that, of course, I would have a blog that went with it. And, you know, I guess I had the, the blog before it was even official business when it was back just a homestead. I just knew I needed an outlet. Um, I love uh, chronicling things and, and journaling and, and all those things. I love the idea that, you know, a part of my story will be out there forever. And so it just kind of started like that. The blog ended up being coming. Um, a lot of people have said it's like reading my diary, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, absolutely. When I was going through my divorce and meeting and falling in love with Matthew and all that, it was, it was very much like, well, how personal is too personal for these people to know about me? But, you know, I just feel really lucky that um, enough people connect with it because I love sharing that story. I love that someday my kids, if they want, can go back through and read, you know, what what was going on with their mom. Our farm is uh, on Facebook, Lost Peacock Creamery, on Instagram, Lost Peacock Creamery. We have a YouTube channel where we mostly post uh, goat yoga tutorials. And Matthew is on Twitter at Lost Peacock. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us.